Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Austin. And Mayu, what's going on, everyone? Before we get started, Mayu, in our typical preamble, I do want to just quickly mention, if you guys like this podcast, please do share it, support it, comment on it, leave us a great review. Gives us the motivation to keep this podcast going, and we want to bring you as much content as possible. And this podcast is sponsored by no one because we have no sponsors, but I also do want to... That's good. Sponsored by Mayu and Austin's bank accounts. Yeah, really, it's a lot of it's Mayu's bank account too, because he started hiring out the editing. Good for you. But uh, yeah, if there's sponsors out there, hit us up. But nonetheless, I just also wanted to mention that we do have an event coming up on November 30th with Mike Rosehart, who's an awesome real estate investor, 60 Properties. So if you guys didn't register for that, go ahead and do so. You can just search either Mayu's name or my name on Instagram and you can register on there. Okay, let's just get started into it. Mayu, what have you been up to over the past week? Yeah, so the past week, it's been uh, just trying to stay on top of my projects. I have been... I'm, I'm looking into a new market just to add to the portfolio. Austin already knows about it. I'm not going to talk about it in the podcast just because I don't want to yet. Um, but, you know, the last week, I think, talked to my realtor and really just have made a few offers, analyzed quite a few properties in that market. We also tried to buy one in Windsor and Austin, I'm now analyzing your wholesale deal yeah. to see if that will work as an acquisition. So what's going on with you, man? I think you, you're the one that's really been busy. Um, a lot of it is keeping the lights on and also just getting kind of keeping the lights on as in the business as usual stuff. Like likewise with you and I, if we were to just go over a business as usual shit, we would bore the audience because we're literally talking to contractors, property managers, X, Y, Z every day. On top of that, like what I've been up to is just, again, doubling down on the wholesaling side of things. So over the weekend, I went down to Windsor and had a couple of for sale by owner showings. So walkthroughs, negotiating, talking with owners, figuring out kind of their situation and what we can offer them. Got a deal locked up. Um, that's the one that you're analyzing. I think I actually just mentioned that in the previous podcast as well. But working on trying to firm up on some other deals, we'll see how that goes. Um, I think it's really just 50-50, maybe even less than 50-50. I don't think we have a great chance, but... Also sending flyers out in the Sudbury market as well and exploring that. Really just trying to put as much money and investment as I can to wholesaling. And it is hurting the pockets, I'm, I'm not going to lie, but really it's going to pay off in the long term anyway. So I'm not too concerned with it. But yeah, I'm, I'm going to announce your market if that's cool. No, I'm joking. I, no. I, know. <laughs> I know, I know. But you guys will hear about it. Probably not this year though, eh? Next yeah. year? You, they'll, well, we'll talk about it more next year, more likely, right? Yeah, yeah. Get a couple of projects down, see how see how it works out. And uh, well, it'll be an interesting episode next year. So today's episode is going to be long, but um, I just had a coaching call and the guy asked me like, you know, what are your thoughts on the market? So I'm just curious. We haven't talked about this in a long time. What are your thoughts on like where we're at in the market, market cycles and, you know, all that stuff? 
Yeah, I know Rain published an article. So the Real Estate Investment Network, they're a pretty big organization in Canada. And they think we're in the beginning of the slump phase. And with that, they mean don't do many fix and flips because it's not a safe time to do it. And they're saying more cater towards buy and holds if you want to get into the market. Everyone kind of has their own predictions. What I know for certain is, is that I'm investing for cash flow and I'm trying to invest in good areas. So like how I like to say it is that if property prices double, which pretty much for some of our properties are getting close to double. We're not selling it. We're getting the same cash flow. If they dropped in half, it's, it's kind of the same story. I'm just getting the same cash flow. So I'm okay. Um, yeah. I mean, like, despite if the market's going to go up and down, it doesn't concern me too much. I know that's not what the listeners want to hear because they want us to read into our crystal ball, but I just do want to point out that you don't need to overcomplicate things. As long as you cash flow, get good tenants, um, you're good to go over the long term. But, now you can't give that answer. So you can't give a cop-out answer. So what do you, where do you think the market's going? Well, I asked you the question, man. So I actually don't have to answer it. That's how that works. So, okay. Um, okay. no, okay. This is, this is my honest opinion. Um, everyone who's banking on mortgage deferrals didn't pan out. Uh, mortgage deferrals ultimately gave everyone plenty of time to sell their properties. So that's long and gone, that opportunity, if it ever existed. There's a lot of different, like, investor sentiment. Like, I feel like the the hardcore investors are actually like kind of scaling back is, is what my thoughts are. Part, part of it is because evaluations in a lot of different areas don't make sense, right? So when investors scale back, um, I feel like there there is still demand, but it is scaling back. Immigration is temporarily on pause. So could we be in a potential buying opportunity come Jan, Feb, March? Maybe is my honest opinion. Like You're going to sound like an idiot because <laughs> the prices are going to triple. No, 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 no. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't like, yeah, I, I, but no, I, I, I agree with what you're saying, right? Like the market could go up. Fuck. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Really? I, I don't think interest rates are going to play a big picture because our saving, like the Canadian savings rate is so piss poor that if interest rates go up, a lot of people are going to go underwater and it definitely makes housing more unaffordable. I thought, and, and the purpose is we're trying to keep it affordable but eventually um, it has to go up. Like you can't just, eventually, but the, I think the prediction you is get the inflation next, in check too, right? Like inflation is a big part of it. You keep yeah, but, rates. Yeah. So, so the next two years, the projection is the interest rates are going to be a low environment for the foreseeable yeah. future. Um, but yeah, like exactly what you were saying, like some of the bigger investors are scaling back, but that's also because it's, it's hard to find a deal, dude, we're struggling and we're, yeah. and we, dude, I'm spending a lot of money wholesaling and I'm fucking struggling finding a good deal. I was like, dude, the 25% depreciation, not sustainable. Yeah, not I agree. Sustainable that, that's whatsoever. a red flag, right? When everyone is talking about something, it's it's probably too late or, you know, it's definitely closer to the bubble territory. And I think when you have, like you just said, like double digit growth, like that's always a red flag. Um, yeah. and I know some markets have had double digit growth now for like two, three years and uh, it's concerning, but ultimately, if you can get a good deal, like me and Austin, we're still buying. It's not like we're not. If you get a good deal, we're going to buy anyways, right? So Yeah, because if we had this discussion three months ago, it, w- we, it still was crazy. And if we didn't buy anything, we would have lost out on a good chunk of appreciation. We got a good deal, instant equity plus appreciation. So yeah, I mean, we're, we're always looking for deals. But anyways, let's let's jump into today's episode. In today's episode, we're going to be uh, chatting with Natasha Fagali. Natasha is an amazing person and an investor. And what I mean by that is on top of having 10 doors, um, she has won numerous awards for community leadership. Um, she is an, um, she's in a great 
profession. So she's actually a teacher. She's traveled around the world. Um, she really just dedicates herself giving back to the community on top of real estate investing. And in today's episode, we're going to be digging down all into investing and how it's like navigating the world of real estate investing, being a female investor, because obviously some of the dynamics are more different, as well as speaking about tenant management, interacting with tenants and all of that good stuff. So this is actually, she's very energetic. So this is going to be a very easy listen, although it is quite a long episode. You guys are definitely going to enjoy it though. Um, I know we definitely did. So uh, stay tuned and enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. We are here with our very special guest, Natasha Figali. Am I pronouncing your last name correct? Yes. 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 Hey, well, the yes. three of us got names that are, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going to give a pat on my back. I'm very, I'm very excited I pronounced it correctly. Natasha, before we even get started, I just want to say you're actually our first female guest. Oh. So, hooray. <laughs> we All right. Awesome. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Hopefully, when people listen to this episode, a lot more will reach out. We want to have a nice mix of investors. But Natasha, for those people out there who don't know who you are, why don't you give a quick, maybe 30-second, one-minute bio on yourself? As Austin said, my name is Natasha Fagali, and I'm an investor out of Windsor, Ontario. I currently have... 10 of my own doors. I also now manage properties for others as well. So I work with a few investors that are out of province. And I started investing actually in 2014, just on the cusp of 2015, I got really lucky. And the market turned, I was teaching overseas. So all my stars aligned. I ended up selling my house, making a quarter of a mil on top of the sale. The market turned. And at that point, I was able to go from there. And then money that I brought back with me from overseas, all coupled together. And I was able from there just to continue to grow. That's awesome. So you're overseas. eh? What were you doing overseas? I guess give a bit of background on what you do full time and all of that. Sure, sure. So by vocation, I'm an elementary school teacher. So I currently work in Windsor and I'm an ESL instructional coach. So I have a portfolio of about four schools and I work, I have worked internationally in Kuwait, in France and in China. And I taught English over there in those countries. And I'm very lucky with education. I've I've said it in all my interviews. I don't ever plan on leaving my day job because my day job provides me the ability to continue my passions, which is also traveling and in education, just because of how dynamic it is. I've been able basically to go all over the world, teaching, giving workshops, sitting on different boards in regards to education, working with the Teachers Federation out of Toronto. And I don't consider real estate my side hustle because it takes up a lot of time. So I I actually have two jobs. And my, my teaching and then my real estate. And everyone kind of knows that I do real estate. You know, I know they say at work, you shouldn't talk about it. But everybody kind of knows because my life is a bit harmonious, everything all together. So, I mean, it just is what it is. I just basically have two big jobs and just one big life altogether. Me and you alike. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like to see real estate's passive, not very. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Especially you when you try what, to scale. Yeah, it's not really like it is passive income. However, like the three of us know, 
you know, sometimes at the end of the month, like you could be left with 20 bucks if it's not a good month, if things are getting broken and so forth. Yeah. Like it's passive. Yes. And no, but the big money is in the refinances and, you know, in the flips and so forth. The month to month is good. If you're someone like me, I'm a big spender, eh, guys? Like, I love, I'm living lavishly. You know what I mean? So for me, it's good. I've now come to believe, and through the different mastermind groups that I'm in, is that the big bulk of what you want is that refinance. And then if you're going to flip them to, you know, to buy them low, put just, you know, put that little bit in there and then just flip them high. So it's good. I Listen, I'm not complaining, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, I, I think you're right. I think, you know, we all make money on our buys, right? Like when we buy, yeah. when we make the most amount of money and whether you choose to flip it, wholesale it, or keep it as a buy and hold, either way, we're all making money on the buy. So I think you covered something really good there. So you were international when you bought your first property. Actually, it's amazing. I wasn't even going to do that. And I don't recommend other people do this. This might not be their life journey. I was doing my master's with the University of Ottawa and I basically took that money and I borrowed four grand from my mom because I was kind of born into this. My grandparents, when they came from Croatia, they were hardcore investors. That's all they could do. They couldn't really speak the language. They didn't know how to read and write. I, I mean, they came with no shoes, for God's sakes. So that's what they did. Like, they were basically what we are now, just without the fancy labels, you know? So I was basically kind of born into it. They lost everything in the 80s when they had the big inflation and, like, mortgage rates went up. And they lost about five houses. So then what was left, you know, just over the years got sold and so forth. So my mom loaned me some money. I had a big life-changing moment in 2014. And I was like, no, this is enough. I need to be in control of my life. And I met a mentor at the time who was basically doing real estate. And he said to me, and these are the best words I ever heard, quote unquote, said, Natasha, you're the type of woman that either has got to marry rich or you better learn how to make money because you're going to be bankrupt. And he's right. I live lavishly. I what love do, what to do you spend your money on. <laughs> oh, I love to guys. Like I travel a lot. And like, if we're going to Beverly Hills, we're going to Beverly Hills. Like I'm not going to Beverly Hills to sit in the hotel. You know what I mean? Like I go to Croatia to visit my family. I travel to Lebanon. My dad's Lebanese. Like we're, I go all over the place, you know? And like we were, I work hard. We work hard, you know? So when we're going out to eat, like we're going out to nice places, you know, and just in my culture and my heritage too, like ladies have a certain look and a certain upkeep, you know, it just is what it is. So he said, you know, you better really figure out what you're going to do here. So he kind of explained to me the game a little bit. And then I just took my master's overnight. I bought my first duplex. I didn't even know. I went to the bank. I didn't know anything. She's like, do you know about prime this and that? I looked at her and I said, prime, isn't that a restaurant in the States? <laughs> like, I don't even, I had nothing. You know what dummy? Nothing. Zero. I'm surprised when you said that they loaned you money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what the best part is? She's still my banker. Oh, She's that's hilarious. My... That's so sweet. <laughs> yeah. And then I got a really great opportunity to go to Kuwait or go overseas. So I took that. My poor unpaid help, which is my parents, my parents helped me with everything. They kind of run my properties. 
when I was away. So I just had the one and I didn't know what I was doing. And I really am so grateful. I'll always be grateful to the tenants that I had, that they were lovely human beings and they were super amazing. And they were awesome. They also like kind of took care of the property too. And this is before I knew anything. I didn't know anything. I used to leave post-its, heart post-its on the door that said, can you call me? Like, no, no, no. (laughs) Didn't know what I was doing. I had no clue. I tell everybody, I don't be like me. I just am lucky. Luck doesn't happen often. Then I came back from the Middle East. I wasn't sure if I was going back or staying. A very good friend of mine is a realtor. She said, you know, I think you should sell your house. I said, what no, pardon me. What year what, did they tell you to sell oh, your house? Oh, I'm sorry. This was 2017. So the market ago. had skyrocketed. I, I didn't know about that either. I didn't know anything. She's like, oh, no, we got to sell your house. Now is the time. And, and I said, well, in, I think uh, in, in Windsor. Windsor? In Windsor, I said, well, maybe I'll refinance this and that. But it didn't make sense with the numbers because I was on the old rents. Hmm. So we sold. I made a lot of money. And then I really started to get serious. My realtor was coaching me, my mortgage advisor, my mortgage broker. And then I started to really get serious about it because I thought, if I'm going to continue, say, my international lifestyle... At some point, I would want to come back to Canada. And, you know, in my opinion only, it's not a joke here. Like, you need to be organized. You need to have passive income. We have inflation. We have taxation. You know, things are going up. That's my opinion only. That's just my opinion. 2%, Natasha, right? (laughs) Pardon? It's just 2%, right? The inflation. That's what everyone tells you and they want you to believe. But no, I definitely agree with you. It it might be lifestyle inflation, but... No matter what, my cost yeah. is every year and it's crazy. Like my salary alone would not support it, right? So. No. And and also, I also come from a culture, and I'm not saying everyone, but I come from a culture where, you know, when I become a mom, I want to raise my kids. So I want to be home. And I've said that from the beginning. That's just who I am. Like, okay, yeah, I do like my boss life and whatever of the houses and stuff. But in my culture, when I become a mom, I want to take care of my kids and I want to be home with them because it's just in my family, a lot of the ladies are home and they have raised their kids and I need that passive income. I can't be putting those demands. If we were, say, in a different country with very lucrative jobs, great. But I can't be putting my lifestyle demands on someone else. You know, I can expect that they're going to take care of the family, but Natasha going to the salon four times a month, that's extreme. (laughs) So something's got to support that. And I'm totally honest. I'm not, I don't think I'm like a lot of other lady investors. Like for me, it's purely lifestyle. (laughs) You know, I love that because a lot of people want to live a lavish lifestyle, but they're not willing to do what it takes to get a higher income to afford that lavish lifestyle, right? So some people are making 50, 60K, but they want to live 100K a year lifestyle, um, which is totally fine, but just justify that you're, you deserve that type of lifestyle. Just don't spend above your means. So you're making sure that you're still saving money, even though you are. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. Like you got to you have to be reasonable, right? Because I I wasn't born wealthy or anything. And you know, Austin, I follow your frugal living because actually my sweetheart is a lot like that, actually, maybe to the other extreme. 
you know, but um, yeah, you got to be reasonable and you always got to think about your investments, which is what I didn't do before. And now I've just completely, I've diversified over the years. I'm in stocks, I'm in mutual funds and I have security holdings and I've just continued to diversify, save here and there and, you know, just try and keep it going. But I also maintain a standard with the homes because in order to get good tenants in good areas, you have to have good properties. Absolutely. A couple of great things that you did say there. So the first thing I do want to reiterate that you did mention really quickly, but I think it's worthwhile to talk about is, is that the property that you bought in 2014 and sold in 2017, it was with 2014 rents pretty much, right? Like, so the rent was super little, but the market appreciated like crazy. So that was a very smart decision to sell that property because you got your equity out. You knew you weren't able to turn around the tenants. You were locked into those old rents. So if you're to refinance, as you were saying, cash flow negative, so it just didn't make sense. So you just sold it and you bought other properties with that. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned that because in this current market that we're in, it's super, super crazy hot. So yeah. really, if you guys have under-rented properties, you could still sell it at top dollar in the market today. And yeah. Yeah. Forever. Because I self-manage my own properties, I think I just have that ability because again, I am a teacher by trade. So multitasking, working with people, it's just my trades. You know what I mean? I, I can do, I know how to do those things. However, I, I don't suggest that everyone do that. It's not for everyone and you can find yourself in big trouble. And if, if you want to like go the investor out, like I know Austin, you and may you do a lot, get a property manager. You know what I mean? It's not worth the time that it takes. However, what I've noticed is that, you know, I just got lucky. I got lucky because the market shifted right now. It's super hot. And if you have the low rents, don't waste your time to try and evict the tenants and nonsense that can go so wrong. And then you're going to end up paying them, you know, make the right choice. And I think, I think you and may you do so many podcasts that I listen to and I, and I go and, and I watch and I listen and I see the guys that you guys are listening to. And then I listen again I mean, I'm not as well versed in finance. I studied education in university. You know, I'm not in that sector. So I have to continue to learn. And like I was looking today, you guys were posting about investing in yourself. You always got to keep investing in yourself, especially, you know, if you're someone like me, as I said, I'm probably not the most, you know, bullish female investor there is out there, you know. So for me, I continue to learn and grow. And I've come to a point now where I'm staying in my lane. I know to stay in my lane. I got lucky, but then I've learned. And now I do the refinancing. I do the burrs and and all of that. And then I, I mainly do a lot of buy and holds. Although right now we are doing one fix and flip. But I'm cognizant of my lane, which I think is something too that is, is important for people. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't consider what you have as luck. Mayu and I yeah. are in the same exact boat, right? My Mayu, why don't you dig down into your story a little bit? I was just about to say, like, is it really luck if you took the leap of faith to buy that first property, right? You struggled with whatever it is, like renting it out. Like there's like you learned the financing side of it. You took all you did all these things that so many people don't do and they just you know choose not to do it, whether yeah like, for various reasons, right? Um so I, I, you know, I personally don't really call it luck. I think um, 
you were smart enough to know that real estate was a good investment vehicle. Yeah. You took the leap of faith, listening to people that, you know, you surrounded yourself with and whether it's family, whether it's mentors and various things, and now you're coaching and you're continuously learning. So I don't really think it's luck, but I think it's just very humble of you to call it luck, but uh, Thanks, yeah. <laughs> you. <laughs> no problem. So you went from one property to 10. I think we covered the very first one and then you were in Kuwait, you know, just high level. Like what was the journey to 10 properties like? It's not easy. In the beginning, I only bought basically the three G's, good properties, good locations, good people. That's what I basically did in the beginning. I've used realtors for some, not for all, just because once you start learning about it, you can kind of basically wholesale yourself, if that makes any sense. You can find properties with other private sellers. You know, you sell to each other. You could kind of wholesale yourself. We've done that uh, about twice now. And it's interesting because I have bought and sold throughout the years that we've been doing this. It's been about five years now. After I came back from Kuwait, I sold the property. Then I bought more. Then I attended a seminar about JV, Joint Venture Partnerships, and I just thought I'd reach out to a few of my contacts in the community. And somebody said, yeah, I know somebody who wants to get into real estate. So we met and then we started doing joint venture partnership together. And that obviously led to about five together. And two of them have been, we bought and sold. So we've made money on, then we put money into other properties. It's been a journey. It's not that easy. Depending on what you want to do, depending on what's your lane, it can, it can be high floor, low ceiling, or it can be, you know, high ceiling, low floor. It, it, depending on you, what is your avenue? What is your lane? However, in the beginning, I had no clue what I was doing. And I'm very lucky that I had great tenants because tenants, depending on what you're doing, especially in the current climate, can make or break your business. And I say that respectively because there's an initiative that's going around right now that I went in on. I'm not telling people what to do. If it comes to your city, that's up to you as an investor. I went in on it and it hasn't been good. And luckily we have the financial backing to sustain the property. We did go into forbearance on it, but that's been dissolved now. And, and so everything will populate itself back to how it should be. However, I would suggest for investors now to jump in, jump in by all means, but you need to do the investing in yourself. And even if you don't have a lot of money, you can listen to podcasts like, you know, you're in Austin's podcast. You can do the videos on YouTube just to get a little bit of bearings about yourself. Because I feel that if you're not 100% sure, you might want to know a little bit about what you're doing first. I mean, even like, say, getting on a call with you two, I know you guys do coaching calls, even one call with a list of questions and go hard for 15 minutes and then make a decision. You know what I mean? To, to jump in. I just feel that, you know, if you're going to do the burr, like if you're going to do a burr and you're going to keep tenants in there, you might want to know a little bit what you're doing a little yeah. bit. 
Yep. I think uh, me and Austin, we were talking, it might've been like yesterday or the day before about like other provinces where the landlord tenant board. Oh yeah. Much more slack and the cash flow is much more higher. It might oh, be, yeah. it might be like hella far, but I mean, you know, as long as the cash flow can justify the additional cost of getting out there, like I could justify a lot of things. And the big thing for me, it's not just the cash flow. It's like, I could cash flow in, in Ontario. It's not like I can't. But the mm-hmm. fact that the landlord tenant, the landlord has, you know, fair rights in those provinces is very mm-hmm. attractive to me from a diversification perspective, right? It's not just, mm-hmm. you know, diversifying out of real estate. It's just, is all of your real estate in Ontario? And like, what are the risks as a result of that, right? So I think you're right on, like, we're not going to go too in depth on that topic. That's a, that's a whole other topic. <laughs> but I mean, so aside from the tenant side, like I'm, I'm curious yeah. because, you know, me and Austin, we both invest in real estate. We both go out to a lot of different events. There's just not too many female investors that we interact with on a day-to-day basis. I don't know what it is, but I'd be curious to hear from your perspective. What are some of the challenges that you face as a female, female investor? It could be like anything. And if there are yeah, no challenges, yeah. well. <clears throat> no, there's a lot of challenges. I can't say that there's challenges like I go to RBC Bank just like anybody else. You know, they can't deny me service. Those aren't the challenges. The challenges arise in certain areas that I'm not affluent in, such as plumbing, electricity, uh, home renovations. That's where I find that there is there are a lot of challenges just because at times it can be, you know, the perception can be that I'm going to, you know, maybe just be ditzy about it and say, okay, to anything and maybe be passive. However, I definitely can bark back when I need to, because it is money. We do have a lot of money invested. That's been a challenge with tenants. There's also been a challenge. It's very different when I show up at the door than when my partner shows up at the door. And that just, I think is a primal thing. You know, when, you know, a male who's six foot tall and, you know, works out and beefed out and shows up at the door and says, hey, what's going on here? It's a lot different, you know, than when five foot five Natasha shows up with full makeup and says, hi, guys, can I come in? You know, it's just it's a different vibration. It's just a different vibe. I think a lot of ladies are not in investing, perhaps because they invest in other areas of their life, maybe in families in certain cultures, not in Canada, although maybe the mindset is there, but in certain cultures, everything is passed down to the sons because the the preconception is that they're going to take care of their sisters and their mothers and, you know, their aunties and so forth. And I know that the three of us come from those kind of cultures. Mm-hmm. So, however, with changing times, that's not really the case anymore. So that's one thing that we might need to change, you know, that things should be divided fairly. As well as I, I just think that a lot of ladies, it's not that interesting for them. It, it might not be interesting. They might have interests in having other business, other businesses, you know, maybe in health and beauty, fitness, et cetera, and, and so forth. For me, I, you know, met a mentor at the right time, at the right place, and I, I just went in and I realized that yes, a master's is awesome and it's great. And I would never put down education in my life. However, for me, I realized at that point that I, I need my freedom and I don't want to be in a position anymore where someone is imposing their hindrance on my freedom. So I need to be able to say at any time, stop. 
but that's the kind of lady that I am, you know? And so some ladies, I think I, and I, and I really respect them. I just think they don't care. They're just, you know, kind of happy maybe with their life or their lifestyle. And, and they're really cool about what they have, you know, whereas me, I'm just like, we got to go to Somerset mall this weekend, you know? And so for me, it's, as I said before, it is lifestyle and it is sustainability because I do want to go abroad again. And I, I don't want to find myself in a position where I am say potentially dependent on the government for my future. Yeah, there was a lot of interesting points that you brought up there. I do want to touch on one is what you mentioned that it could be quite intimidating to interact with people, as you were saying, like a six feet jack person comes like, what do you want? Like, if that's one of your tenants. And it's very similar, even from my and I as males in a real estate networking event, like if you had zero properties and you were to go in, you feel nervous as hell, right? Very nervous. So I can imagine um, at least a bit of what it's like to be even a female investor, even a female investor with a couple of properties because it's a very male dominant industry or in social media, at least it's, it's a lot of males that are kind of sharing their journey, not as much female. So I'll, I wanted to hear your opinion on, is there any advice that you could give to female aspiring female entrepreneurs looking to break into real estate investing? I would say just do it. And even if you fail, even if you go into foreclosure, you know, who cares? Just try, you'll learn you'll learn and, and you'll, you'll figure it out. I I think that a lot of ladies could definitely get into it. It creates passive income for them every month. It creates generational wealth, you know, and you, you build up a threshold, even if you have one property. And that's another thing too, is I think a lot of people get nervous and maybe a lot of ladies because they might only have one property or they might have one door and they're like, ah, no point in talking about this. One door is just as good as a hundred. You can have a hundred doors and not be cash flowing and you can have one door and be making millions, you know, well, maybe not millions, but you could be, have a strong cash flow. So I think also, like you said, Austin, it is intimidating. I get shy too, because sometimes I talk to investors who have a hundred, 150 doors and I feel like, oh, I don't have as much as them. I, maybe I shouldn't say anything or you know, as I said earlier, I don't know much about finance and this and that. And and I can go to four mortgage seminars and still come out asking questions, you know, or sometimes I talk to other property managers and they're, they're spot on. And I'm like, Oh, I didn't do that. Or I don't know this or, but there's nothing to be shy. Questions are free. Yeah. So just go for it. I mean, I, I feel like a lot of the the challenges, like not to take away from the like the impact of it, but I think you know, even as a male in the in the space, like I think it's the same insecurities and the same concerns, and you never know what you don't know until you kind of get out there and talk to people about it as well, right? I think another interesting side of it is you're in the property management space, so um, I know you cover the tenant side of it. I mean, I'm like a like a five foot something guy as well, right? So not a very intimidating guy, and uh, to go out there and interact with these people, and I can only imagine as a female, like it's that much more intimidating, right? It is. It is very, very intimidating. It's it's very intimidating in property management, and I I find it in the current climate, which I at no point do I see changing in Ontario. Other provinces, as you mentioned, which is actually my long-term plan is to move into the other provinces that are landlord friendly. Uh, that, that is the long-term, that is the long-term goal. Not because of, uh, of any other reason. It's just that 
the situation that we're current that I, I we're currently in, we cannot do a second time. A second time would lead us into definitely some serious financial issues, which would impact our business. Now, I do manage for other people. It's a little bit easier when you manage for others because you're not the boss. So you always can say, let me refer to the homeowner. I'll get back to you. So that that's a bit different. However, I have learned a lot of new strategies on self-management of your own properties. So when you self-manage, I've, I've learned a, a plethora of skills to enhance your business, which enhances your cash flow. Question about property management, digging deeper into that. So do you have any high level tips on how to interact with occupants? Because I find that at least when I started off, it was very nerve wracking to interact with tenants, despite you being the landlord, because you don't want to set off the wrong foot, give the wrong image or make it appear that like you're greater or less than them. It's a very tricky water to navigate on, upon your first interaction. So is there like a certain strategy or a way that, that you talk to tenants or you just act like yourself when you go in there? No, definitely not. I've had tenants for a very, very long time. My turnover is low. Actually, what my turnover kind of looks like is they'll go from one house to another house because they want a bigger unit. Oh. So it, it, they, a lot of my tenants stay with me. They just go circulate from di to, to different units if they want a newer unit, if they're looking for something, you know, uh, with two bedrooms as opposed to one or two bathrooms or parking, et cetera. With the tenants, you're always friendly like behaviors, but at the end of the day, you need to ensure that they know that you're the landlord, they're the tenant. And through all of my education that I've done, which I really advise everyone to do, you have to remain professional at all times and you need to document everything. Everything should be documented, even phone calls. If you have a phone call with a tenant, you send an email after reiterating everything that you just talked about. Everything is photographed and you have to keep that high level of professionalism. It just, you have to remain professional at all times. And, you know, Austin, I, I listened to one of your podcasts and you said something that is 100% true. If you feel that this person is not your avatar, you don't house them, period. That's it, period. You need to, again, you know, your lane, you know, your avatar, now, I have a very good family friend who's kind of like a bikey, you know, biker-ish. And he houses people that I don't know anybody would definitely want to take that uh, step, step with. And, and I say that very, very respectfully. And you know what? He cash flows all the time. He has absolutely no issues with rent, no issues with anything. Whereas for someone like me, and again, relating back to, you know, a female in this space, Someone like me, I need to know my avatar. So I need to be housing people who fit the profile that is relative to what I can handle. And, and I say that very, very respectively. And, and it has nothing to do with bias. It's just that I know my avatar. I know who I'm looking for. I know the, the protocols that they need to meet. And I would suggest you establish those before anything so that, you know, you're not say called to the carpet on, on certain things, you know, what is your credit score that you're looking for? What is, you know, your financial backing that you're looking for? You know, what kind of job longevity are you looking for, etc. And once you have that avatar, you're golden, you can house people, 
you know, it, everything will flow smoothly because at the end of the day, it is a money business, but it's also a people business big time. Speaking about selecting tenants and, and all of that with COVID, have you noticed any changes with your current tenants? Was there any discussions about that in case they had financial troubles or when placing new tenants, have you kind of sh- made your criteria a bit more strict? Yes. So yes to both of those. The first one is in March, I sent all of the tenants a communication relating that we're going to follow a three-step policy in in regards to rent. After that, we followed up again with the tenants ensuring like who's working, who's not working, who's collecting CERB. If you can't pay, you know, we need to go to step two, which is a payment plan. And if you can't do a payment plan, then we're going to need to go to some kind of source such as the housing support program, just to ensure that this doesn't become something that could lead to deviant behavior. Because at the end of the day, an N4 is going to have to get issued. And, you know, we don't want to go down that route. We, we've had tenants for a long time. We don't, we don't want to see them without housing. The N4 will get issued. We will go before an adjudicator. It's a matter of time. I actually made a video that was on Facebook that actually got very, very heavily populated. And I was on the CBC about it because I tried to reiterate to landlords and tenants that right now, more than ever, you need to work together. Just, you know, put your personalities aside. You need to work together to ensure you have housing. You can withhold your rent if you want, but, you know, the COVID is not here forever. And and at some point, everything will open up just through a different median. Then with housing new tenants, it the questions that we ask are very different, such as why do you not have housing right now? Where, what has happened to your housing? We need to contact your prior landlord and the one before that as well you know, have you, have you been reported to the credit bureau? These are just questions to ensure that we're selecting the right tenant, the right avatar for our homes, because more than just the rent, if you have a tenant that becomes highly violent or engages in behavior that is criminal under Canadian law, and you have a multifamily, you cannot protect anyone else on that property. And take that from me. I know what I'm talking about. I'm still in court. I had a couple of questions there. So I read recently, I know it's popped up in the Rise Facebook group as well, that now you can start reporting um, tenant oh, payments. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. To the credit bureaus, right? Great. So uh, that's a great win. I guess you've, you've kind of confirmed it there as well. But the second question that I had, given you're in Windsor, and I don't know how much you play in the space of student rentals, but do you have any insight into that market and what's going on there? You know, I was going to do student rental in 2018. We changed our mind only because I got a new portfolio at work and I, I really didn't want to be dealing with so much traffic. Uh, so I, I went single family instead. I, I foresee that we will get students, students still will be on campus, whether they're, you know, they're, they're in a a hybrid sort of learning model where they're here, but they have to show up for exams, etc. Because we're only really in the beginning stages of this. Before it was mainly like certifications and stuff that you could do online, but for a actual 
college or university degree to be fully online without you having some kind of presence. I don't know. I would find that I find it interesting. Um, I'm not very well, well versed in what that will look like going forward. However, I do believe that there is still a market for student rentals Mm. because the other thing in Canada though, which we need to keep in mind relating back to the CIC is that a lot of students that come to say countries like Canada or the UK or Australia, you know, like, you know, the, the Western seven, um, they want to re- they want to stay. Yeah. So when they come and study, you know, after a while, they ask for PR, pers- um, re- residency. Then from there, they go into immigration. Then they get a job or they get a girlfriend or they buy their own real estate. So a lot of students come and stay. They're not that transient. If this was Abu Dhabi, I would say they're totally transient. You might want to be careful. But in Canada... The student market, I think, is alive and well. That's a very good point that you brought up. Yeah, a lot of the international students that are coming in, their intentions to come to Canada to stay here over the long term to get a job and then settle a ground here, right? So it would just make sense for them to come to Canada. And as well as being a student myself, I don't think I would have ever trade the university experience. I met so many great friends there, yeah. joined a bunch of great organizations, had amazing parties, clubbing, all of that fun stuff, right? Like it's, it's just an once in a lifetime experience. I can't foresee that going away. I think once it's normalized, all of these students are going to be running back to uh, campus. And we have a lot of Canadians that live abroad who have children who who are Canadians who come to school here. So they need housing too. My entire family is a, is a product of that. A lot of my cousins live overseas, but their kids are Canadians. And now, you know, they come to do schooling and then they want to stay or maybe, you know, whatever situation arises in their life. But I I do know in this business, it's all about the people. And when you know the mobility of people, when you know the climate of the country, the climate of the, say, the province, the state, whatever, that's where you, you, you start to be able to leverage yourself and leverage your finances. Very true. And and one thing I didn't want to touch on, Natasha, is, is you brought this up earlier that a lot of people are creating battles between landlords and tenants. And it's so yeah. important to be working with the tenants and likewise, the tenants work with the landlord. Yeah. I think a, land, a lot of landlords, and, and I hate to say this because I know a lot of landlords, but uh, many of them just think they're above the tenants in the sense that if they don't pay rent, the tenants are in the wrong. Well, a lot of them don't even take the time to talk to these tenants and figure out why they're unable to make payment. If someone can't make payment, you can't force them to make payment. What are you going to do? Like, where are they going to get the money from? So you really yeah. need to sit down and have a conversation, a heart to heart and understand their situation. Myself as a landlord, when I started off investing, I didn't do that. And that bit me in the ass. I got into like huge arguments with my tenants and it was all communicated through a property manager. And then really when I gave the call to the tenant. So one year later, I called the tenant on the phone. I was like, Hey, you know what? We started off on the wrong foot. This is way overdue. Let's just talk. That one conversation made a world of a difference, literally a world of a difference between our cooperation with each other. Right. And it was just sitting down and understanding. I got cussed off for the first five, 10 minutes. I didn't retaliate back. I was just like, okay, like I get it. Like I deserve it. Okay. But let's talk now. And then the conversation went wonderful after that. So it is definitely um, kind of something that we both as landlords and tenants need to work with each other to overcome these tough situations. Especially going forward, I would say that the landlord manifesto needs to change. 
because the three of us are investors and we're young. So as of right now, as long as we don't do anything silly, we should be okay. A lot of young Canadians are not in our shoes and their families are not able to help them. They will be renters for life. The climate is looking that way. Yep. If, if we continue to antagonize, they will retaliate, which will affect our business. I, as I mentioned earlier, I have a situation on my hands. And when I started to take some courses and started to look at it as I do my students, listen, maybe she's not paying right now, but you know what? I can walk in freely. There's no more death threats. There's no more cuss outs. And you know what? At the end of the day, I'm still gonna have appreciation on my property. I'm still gonna refinance and Hey, what am I going to do? I still got to treat others like human beings. And it's unfortunate. You know, in Arabic, we say haram. Her life will not look like mine. So I can have empathy at this time and have a discussion. I had a discussion with her. And, you know, I'm sorry to say this, but the eviction will come. And if if this is the approach that she wants to take, I mean, she can stay, but you know, you have to pay. However, you know, the long term, it's better to move with kindness, I guess, because in the end, I'm still going to have my property, you know? Right. So it's a shame that others take different approaches. So I agree with you 100%. Sometimes you just got to make that call and, you know, humble yourself and see, they, they might not even know how to live. And that's something I, I really realized is that a lot of people don't know how to live and don't know housing because they probably grew up that way. So all leading back to it's a people business. Yep. Yep. Exactly. For sure. So with that being said, Natasha, I think we've talked quite a bit and, you know, I love it. I think there was a lot of, a lot of great nuggets in, in your episode, especially you're, you're coming from like an education background with property management, with real estate investing, and a whole lot of nuggets there. And in our favorite market as well, right? So Windsor. Uh, so that was great. I know. <laughs> I hope one day, again, as we say in Arabic, inshallah, the three of us can work together. I hope so. I hope, <laughs> I hope one day. For sure. One day. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so Natasha, with that being said, we we move into our, our rapid round questions. And with this one, like our first question is, you know, like, where will we be seeing you like five years from now, right? And I think, you know, whether it's career, real estate, world travels, anything. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping to invest out of province, out of country. And then I'm also hoping Ooh. to potentially look at opportunities out of either both out of province or out of country. That's awesome. So, I mean, do you have a country in mind or? Uh, well, yeah, I'm a Middle Eastern, you know, I love to be in the Middle East. I, it's a party life. So I like <laughs> to be in the Middle East and I'd like to start investing. I'd like to invest in the States. I'd also like to, as I said earlier, invest in some provinces in Canada that are landlord friendly. Also, they, their market is in, you know, on the brink of what we're experiencing in Windsor. Awesome. Second question is, and this should be interesting since you do have, I guess, a more lavish lifestyle. If you won $10 million today, what would you do with it? <laughs> I should just okay. smile so hard for the 10 million. <laughs> I know. 
Well, I do a, a few things. So first thing I would secure a building. So I'd secure a nice commercial property. Uh, definitely one in Windsor. I'd also like to secure something in the Golden Horseshoe, a plaza, so anything commercial. So it would be, I would pivot into commercial real estate. I'd also definitely be buying myself a beautiful house on the water, boat, all of the toys for my family as well. I would give money to my family in, a, in trusts so that when they reach a certain age, they can get a comfortable uh, future and my nieces and nephews and so forth. I'm just thinking about that it makes me want to cry. And I mean, you know, I'd be, I wouldn't be working for at least a year. You know, I'd be cruising Asia. Asia's stupid fun. Like it's just party life. <laughs> Southeast Asia is just, you know, I'd just be cruising. So, so why, why commercial? I just think that it's the next step that I would like to take. And I think that it's different cash flow wise, different with the tenants. And if you can get a good commercial property in a good location with good tenants, you know, you're looking at appreciation, you're looking at a different cash flow, and a lot of costs are released off of my back. Something as simple as snow and grass. Right, right. Yeah. So you're talking about like true corporate commercial properties. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Okay. And then our final question is if you could have dinner with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? I would love to have dinner with my grandmother. She came here from Croatia with lit. I swear guys, no shoes. She picked tobacco in um, Winnipeg and she came to Windsor. And by the time she was at the height of her real estate, there was over a hundred units cash flowing and the woman couldn't read. She couldn't write and she couldn't speak English and she didn't drive. <laughs> so I, wow. I don't know what was going on, but she, she hustled and hustled and she was doing burrs, house hacking. At one point she had a 50 unit building. So I would love to ask her, what would you do? Thanks so much for sharing that with us, Natasha. That's amazing. And, and your story's also just as good. You're super inspirational. You're a very <laughs> admirable person. And your lifestyle actually probably relates a lot more to our audience than my use and I. Well, at least more than mine because I'm frugal as shit. So <laughs> I know. I'm trying to be like you, Austin. I'm no, trying. No. <laughs> I can't do it. No, no, I can barely. Sometimes I question myself too. It's okay. <laughs> and Natasha, Natasha, I'm with you. What, we make money to spend it, right? <laughs> uh, you know me, you. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I'm. A, I'm. I'm a pretty extreme. I'm pretty extreme. I don't. I don't advocate people to follow my footsteps because they're probably gonna have a miserable life for most people. But I'm. I'm totally cool with it. Thanks, guys. I loved. I love watching everything you guys put out there and following. And I. I do my best to read everything. And and you're helping so many. people people and for free. And I always say that's the sign of true leadership. We really appreciate it. And yourself as well. So if people want to follow you and reach out to you, where can they do so? Yeah, I have all the same uh, social media handles. It's at N-E-Fagali, F-E-G-H-A-L-I. And they can message me anytime and, you know, I can help with what I can and, and redirect them if I need. Awesome. Yeah, we'll leave all of your contact information in the show notes. So if you Thank guys want to reach out to Natasha, you can do so by just, I guess, looking at the description, clicking on and messaging her. It's just was super fun. Really enjoyed ourselves. It was great catching up. And until next time, guys, invest smarter and live better. <laughs>